Hey, this is Randy, and you're listening to Bass Life Podcast, Episode 6. In this episode, I sit down with my friends Lo and Ellen in my van outside Fly Station, Munich. Make sure to definitely check out the show notes for this episode. Um, there are a lot of good links to uh, some of the topics we talk about, and just good stuff on Ellen and Lo. Big thank you to Next Level for creating a link to the five minutes for safety card that we're going to bring up in this episode. So not only can you hear about it, but you can even download your own copy. All right. Enjoy the episode. Three, two, one. See ya. You're listening to the Peace Life Podcast with your hosts, Randy and Brian. All right, so welcome to the Bass Life Podcast. Uh, we are in Munich, Germany at Fly Station, not DE, Fly Station Munich, is that what we're calling it? Yeah. Yeah. And here in the Brand van. making new. Yeah, not super new. Here in the van we have, uh, uh, this is my, what is this, camper van, van cast. We got uh, Laurent and Ellen Brennan. Do you pronounce your name Fra, Fra or Frat? How do you uh, pronounce it? Uh, both, actually. Uh, my name is pretty confusing. So it's uh, Laurent in French and Laurent in English. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't put anyone through the pains of pronouncing it Fra in English. So it's phonetic and Frat. Cool. And uh, all my friends call me Lo. Word. That's why I use it. It's just low. Yeah, um. <laughs> just low. Uh, that's like a real common... Lolo is a really common nickname for Laurent, and um, my parents, my grandmother, everybody called me that since I was an infant, so mm -hmm. it just sort of stuck. Nice. I actually prefer it. So what do you think of this tunnel? I haven't been flying in a tunnel in a long time. I think I flew a few hours last year, and it was quite nice, but I think this tunnel actually has nicer air. Yeah. The little bit that I flew today felt really nice. It's just strange because it's still under construction, so everything still trying to work out. It's yeah, working, working out some bugs, out. some little kinks. Yeah, I'm really happy. Uh, the air does feel really smooth. There's no weird hole right at the door. There's uh, you know, there's no antechamber or anything yet. So um, antechamber is that the right term? Uh, anyway, um, yeah, every, the staff seem pretty friendly, more or less. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're basically having fun in the construction zone, but uh, it's cheaper that way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. What do you think, Randy? I dig it. Uh, yeah, so Randy, Randy, this is uh, what you're, I mean, you had flown some tunnel before. But yeah. You can pretty much be honest and say that, that you're starting from scratch. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't have enough time collectively to really uh, to uh, accumulate, you know, any real experience. Um, but, yeah, I just knocked out an hour this weekend and knocked the dust off a little bit and sort of remembered how humbling the tunnel can be and uh yeah just just accepting it and going with it and uh yeah i'll improve but but it was fun yeah thanks for uh encouraging me to come and uh yeah man it was good to have you here yeah nice fun. break from the valley it's uh brian brian couldn't be here because he's uh he had some obligations that he had to uh handle so uh, would, but we'll, he'll be back in January with me, so that'll be a good time. But uh, so, let's talk about tunnel and how it translates to other aspects of the sky. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> it's windy outside. Oh yeah, yeah well, it's very windy outside. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess Ellen should start because she's got a lot more experience in the tunnel. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're sort of reaching that balance point i guess in time wise but uh You're catching up pretty quick i mean ellen was a big inspiration for me as far as uh she was just sort of natural never really did a whole lot of wingsuit training and uh put on a wingsuit and just sort of was good at it and uh more or less i mean <laughs> hang on <laughs> a lot a lot faster than the average person and uh she always accredited that to uh tunnel flying and, um, you know, I had this really sort of, I, I was sort of firmly against tunnel flying just because it felt like I couldn't get over the fact of how much money it costs. And then, um, I tried it 
uh, Alex Amar was, uh, we were all up in, um, at Kapowson doing a squirrel project and, uh, he just said, Hey, uh, they're doing some free tunnel. Let's go for skydivers. And, uh, yeah, he just, uh, gave me the first, I think five minutes that I had and, uh, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it just really briefly, I think that um, just being in the air and feeling how the air, you move in the air, opens up an enormous amount of awareness. Uh, feeling what it does in the tunnel translates so well into uh, skydiving and base jumping that um, I just saw it as a super valuable tool. And that super valuable tool is ridiculously fun. Every time in the, I'm in the tunnel, I'm giggling. I, uh, you know, I'm like a kid, and uh, those are some, you know, those are basically priceless. So, I'm trying to do as much as I can without breaking the bank. Yeah, like I started tunnel flying just because they built a tunnel really close to my house in Salt Lake, and I had already been wingsuit base jumping for about one year, like brand new wingsuit base jumper, and I was flying okay. And then I spent the next year flying in the tunnel. And maybe had like 10 hours and I didn't really know why I was like what the point of flying in the tunnel was other than it was really fun. And then I went to my second season of wingsuit base jumping and my skills just were tenfold better than they were the previous season. And I realized even though tunnel flying isn't the same maneuvers as wingsuiting, like it transfers over so well, just the awareness and your ability to relax and it notice all the little details like it really made a huge difference in my in my wingsuiting yeah i think awesome. it's pretty it's sort of surprising people are really shocked all the time like even uh, on this trip uh you know people know me as a wingsuiter and someone had, who had seen me in spain was like well aren't you a wingsuiter what are mm-hmm. you why are you flying tunnel yeah and uh there's really um outside of actually flying a wingsuit there's no better tool than than um you know flying in the tunnel mm-hmm and uh with a good instructor yeah i've definitely observed uh over the years once i got to europe in particular like the uh a lot of the really good trackers and the really good wingsuiters all had a lot of tunnel time and uh it was after one of our last conversations i was like that's it that yeah getting in the tunnel let's do this and i don't want to give any false misconceptions here like um you know i'm i definitely i feel like an infant i was a baby and now i'm an infant in the tunnel and, uh, you know, I'm still, you know, early in my progression for wingsuiting. I see it as a never-ending learning process. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, just a student like everybody else, and I'm just sharing my observations. You know, right. it's no, by no means an authority here. Yeah. Well, if you're an infant, then I'm like a, a zygote. <laughs> like a, I'm a glimmer in my dad's eye. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's still you a lot are, of fun. Uh, your, your dad just bought a drink for your mom. Right, yeah, yeah. Is that what happens uh, when you're born? Yeah, no. <laughs> the courting process, I guess. Yeah, oh, they yeah. didn't. Okay, right? before that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was pre-tender days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So what else is going on? How much longer are you guys uh, over here? Yeah, so I'm about to make a huge life change. Yeah? Um, you're becoming a man. Sorry? You're becoming a man. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to be a big change. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so almost, I guess almost six years now, uh, Lo and I moved out to France because we really wanted to, you know, try a different kind of lifestyle, see what it had to offer. I had been working as a nurse in, like, my dream job at the ICU in this massive hospital. It was fantastic, but I realized that, you know, I was... 21 and I already had my dream job so I wanted to go try something different so wait I'd... you were 21 when we met what the hell uh, yeah. <laughs> no you were not 21 22 I don't know I got I think I had my job when I was 21 I don't know how long ago okay was that? so we didn't meet until later but yeah okay <laughs> details <laughs> anyways I felt like yeah. I had achieved something like I, I did yeah I didn't I wanted to try something different and I felt like I would try to go get a job nursing in Europe since that was one of the reasons why I got the nursing degree was that it can work internationally, so mm-hmm. they tell you. And as soon as we moved out here, I realized that it wasn't going to be that easy and I couldn't work as a nurse, uh, which was fine because then I was able to learn French, 
wingsuit a lot, you know, really focus on doing something else in my life. And it's been great for the last five years. Um, only you don't really realize how much, like how important it is to have your professional life. Also, like I needed to have that and I was mm-hmm. becoming a bit depressed and just decided about a month ago that I was going to move back to the States for the winter to start working as a nurse again, try to complete that other part of me. Yeah. <laughs> so nice. yeah, it's going to be hard to like, um, traveling back and forth from France and the U S trying to be happy in my happy place and working in my workplace, but it's going to be an adventure for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll figure it out. So you're going back to Utah then? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be back in Utah nice. in about a week. Okay. No, two weeks. So there's still some jumping and stuff to do, even when you're when yeah. you're working. So Yeah, so I'm going to bring my base rig out there and Very try nice. to focus on that instead. Yeah. And there's also the tunnel Yeah. next door, so I'll be tunnel Yeah, in Ogden, and, right? Yeah. 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 It'll be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so, well, and they're opening up a lot of uh, wingsuit jumps out there, too, so. Yeah, I don't think I'll do any of those. No? Those okay. seem really irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in this for the long term, so. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll well, just stick with my European wingsuit jumps and. Yeah, you can just leave your slider over here then. And yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to bring the little pilot shoe. Right. Just. Yeah, leave your slider in your 36 in, in France. and. For sure. I'm not even going to bring the wingsuit, <laughs> like. I don't want to be tempted. Yeah. I think I'll be going to Moab a lot. Mm. So they gave me a really cool schedule where I'm working six days on and eight days off. So I'm thinking one of those weeks off, I'll be traveling to Moab and mostly base jumping and rock climbing and enjoying that. And then the other week that I have off during the month, I'll fly back to France, see my man, maybe get some wingsuiting and skiing done. Yeah, I'm going to be really tired. (laughs) <laughs> that's yeah. okay yeah yeah try and uh do that sky miles program or whatever it is uh if you pick an airline that has really good flights and just keep buying from them yeah. then uh yeah join their program or whatever because that stuff adds up especially bouncing back and forth between yeah. the u.s and uh in europe yeah i've been mm-hmm. credit card shopping around a little bit mm-hmm. which is another funny thing like in europe it's really hard to get a credit card here yeah. and you go to look in the cards in the u.s and it's like Whatever you want, you can have. Yeah. No, they're begging you in the U.S. Yeah. to come sign up. That's like one Sell thing I'm going to be. Yeah. Yeah, and if you get the right one, then that comes with, you know, like the priority status and all that stuff, too. So it's it's not a bad idea. Yeah. So. Yeah, when I was going back to the States, it seemed like everybody had, like, the, you know, gold or platinum or whatever. So didn't they're didn't feel as special as when I travel in Europe because like oh <laughs> they're all in the priority line and yeah. upgrading to first class yeah, and you're exactly. like in the back and by it's the like toilets. I, <laughs> I actually fly seventy five thousand miles a year, so it's like damn it, you know. Maybe I should just get the card too and then uh <laughs> and kill it. For but, sure. Yeah. There's an art to it. That's mm-hmm. like if you look online I I know like the Delta programs pretty well because Salt mm-hmm. Lake City's a hub of Delta. Yeah. But if you go online there's all these forums of like how to get more points, like when like what time of the year you need to really be careful and like mm-hmm. add up and it's like always the end of the year everyone's like sprinting to get their last miles in yeah to get to the next status like i did that last year i bought myself like a gift card for a flight so i could be bumped up to the next status like nice. it's a game yeah but it's fun yeah good stuff what else do you want to talk about <laughs> what do you want to talk about well, uh, I would like to cover this uh, card that you put together a few months ago. Does that look familiar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, five minutes for safety. So what's the uh, inspiration for this card? And uh, talk a little bit about the the background. Uh, so basically, um, I got really tired of, um, you know, watching people die. And um, I think that the standard paradigm that we have for uh, the progression in wingsuit base jumping is uh, is supremely flawed. And uh, it's sort of like an insider's club. And if you're able to find the right person to help you and they have the amount of free time that they're willing to share with you, then, you know, it's sort of uh, a luck process if you're able to get all the information that you need. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and with our next level program, 
what we wanted to do was have a seamless progression from your first skydives to wingsuit skydiving to your first jumps from the bridge to tracking to wingsuiting and everything in between. So there's really no guesswork there. I think that you probably can relate to this as well as, uh, you know, there was a lot of mistakes done early on. Maybe you got lucky to survive and then you just happened to, you know, gravitate to the people that knew what they were doing and asked the right questions. And, um, we just, I think that we all just need to move away from that. And, uh, whether it's next level or, uh, you know, there's plenty of really good courses out there. It's just a seamless progression and with all the information available. And, um, the five minutes for safety uh, was really inspired because um, I just was taking a lot of friends to new jumps that they'd never been to before. And I felt inclined to give them the most thorough briefing that I possibly could uh, because these are people that are close to me, people that I enjoy being around. And I wanted them to continue to come year after year and enjoy these beautiful spots. And selfishly, I just didn't want to ruin my day. You know, I yeah, didn't for want, sure. someone pounding in uh, has a tendency to just ruin your day. And, um, the five minutes for safety was like a, a real easy way to have a checklist to, you know, just for me to talk about the dangers that I was seeing in some of my home areas and brief my friends on it and myself, uh, you know, sometimes we're human. So we're making mistakes. We're overseeing things. We're, uh, confused. We're either confused or distracted by our lives, things going on at work or whatever, uh, relationship issues. Um, and, uh, for most of us, wingsuit base jumping is probably the most, um, intense and, uh, consequential, uh, activity that we could possibly get ourselves involved in. You know, like there's a really high probability to having a life altering situation come up. And, um, I just think that we can, with like a very little effort, cover all of these things, and um, that's where the list came up. Uh, I come from a wildland firefighting and paramedic background. And uh, in the wildland firefighting, we had uh, um, a list very similar to this, a card that we carried around with us. And anytime we were on the fire line or training, we'd whip it out. And the captain uh, would go over some of the points on the, on, uh, the card. And, um, basically that inspired me to write this cause I saw very similar conditions, you know, in, in wildland firefighting, we're thinking about the, the weather, we're thinking about our personal mindset. We're thinking about how things are changing. And this is directly, um, the way that things were happening in wingsuit base jumping. And it also was sort of like a twofold process. You know, I'm involved a little bit with uh, what's going on um, in the regulation of wingsuit base jumping in Chamonix. And uh, one of the things that was really highlighted in this whole process is that we're a bunch of unorganized uh, participants in an activity that don't have a singular voice. And having uh, standard practices and uh, a clear sign of what is dangerous and what we should be a sort of, uh, you know, called to alarm on um, helps us sort of establish to the public as well. Like, look, these people are not flying within what our standard practices are. Uh, these people are outliers. And, um, uh, you know, we need to we need to differentiate between people who are practicing to live and enjoy the sport as a sport and those that are um, way outside the boundaries of uh, what is deemed acceptable amongst us in the community. Um, you know, there's, for me, I, th I kind of see people who are wingsuit base jumping, you know, you, you need to have this sort of balance of, you, know, you got to be a little bit crazy to want to throw yourself off of a cliff with a nylon suit and fly away. You know, like, that's just, that's just inevitable that that's something that's very different from the norm. But to be someone who survives, you have to have this balanced out a little bit with some logic-based decision-making. And for me, that just is, it's not really a very common personality trait. Uh, so either you can train that into yourself, you can follow along with people are telling you to do, but it takes a lot of humility. And uh, 
And for me, I feel like this sport has opened, has just been so much, you know, it's where I live, it's the woman I'm with, it's the career that I'm in, it's really, it's been everything uh, for me, and it's something that I'd like to give back to. Nice. Yeah, I think you really uh, uh, achieved that with this with this um, list. I mean, it's it's obviously not all-encompassing, but it's definitely things that we need to be thinking about, you know. Yeah, you know, in, in, this isn't just me either. Like, uh, I had this idea in mind, and I reached out to a lot of people that I respect that are in the sport and um, uh, people who are involved in special operations in the military, people who have been wingsuiting for wingsuit base jumping for over 20 years. And uh, it was just sort of the things that everybody who seems successful in the sport with longevity um their considerations in uh, when will they're participating in our activity. Uh, so I just wanted to write that down, put it in a nice little package, and throw it out there. Um, yeah, that's that's what it's mostly about. It's, uh, where uh, can people find this online? Uh, they can find it online. They can find it online. Um, visit nextlevel.ws and search five minutes for safety. Yeah, I, so I, I can throw that in the show notes as well. I can find the exact link and they okay. can uh, pull it up from the show notes. Yeah, you know, um, the last thing that I want this to be is sort of a, a brand significant thing or a brand only sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Squirrel has uh, really been a very strong supporter of this as well, and they're sending it out to people with the who are anybody who wants one. Um, and, uh, you know, like, like I said, this isn't for accolades. This isn't for feeling special about myself. This is just for throwing some little tidbits out there that I think that has helped me and Ellen and a lot of the people that we jump with survive. And, uh, we're just trying to help, you know, share that around. And there's some, a couple of logistical things that, you know, like having your emergency contact on the card, uh, your date of birth, blood type, all these, you know, different medications that you might have. And then your insurance policy numbers, things like that. Um, you know, I've been around a lot of the accidents and it's a right. giant pain in the ass to go searching through your stuff and find all that stuff information. You know, it's already a super, um, high stress environment, you know, do yourself a favor, do your friends a favor. Exactly. Do your friends a favor. Yeah. Like put that stuff out there because it's, um, you know, it's the least that you can do. Don't be a selfish prick. Yeah. Yeah. Cause once the, once the game's over and you know, you put the toys back in the box, it's all your friends that have to deal with the, uh, exactly the aftermath. So yeah, it's always good to have somebody you trust with all your passwords and <laughs> Yeah, whatnot. and on a note with that, like, everyone's jumping with their cell phones, but there's a good chance mm-hmm. that, like, the cell phone's going to get broken. And yeah. nobody knows how to unlock it, even if you have your emergency contacts in your phone. So just having it written down on a card where it's, like, it's never going to get ruined, mm-hmm. like, it makes things so much easier. I've had for years in my wallet a card with just, like, my emergency contact numbers on it, just because I know that, like, my phone is not something reliable. Yeah. And nobody memorizes phone numbers anymore anyways, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like yeah. we have our auxiliary brain. Yeah. You know, that's a giant pet peeve. You know, I mean, if we're talking to some other base jumpers out there right now, like it's like carry a freaking phone with yeah. you, you know, like if I spiral in and line twist and crash into a tree or in femur, I want you to be able to call the rescue right away so that I can survive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about like uh, making, uh, you know, uh, the hiking point at the right time or, or sending some Instagram pictures. You know, it's it's all about like communication doing, and yeah, just covering yeah. your bases. You know, like we're doing something that's pretty dangerous. Let's try to like, you know, eliminate as much risk as possible so that we can focus on having fun. Yeah. And it also eliminates stress. Like if two people land in different landing zones like you could be sitting there thinking your friend's dead when really they've just landed in a different yeah. spot yeah. or you could think they're fine and they actually have two broken legs yeah you know. I'm trying to bleed out yeah yeah the uh the little radios they gave us for paragliding like those are pretty strong pretty legit and i'm uh toying with getting a few more of those just for for those jumps that require a little bit of logistics and you know those like uh when you have outs and maybe you don't make the primary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be, uh, I mean that's pretty fancy, you know, like uh, we have a uh, we're pretty lucky in the Alps like most of the time when you're jumping there's cell reception. Mm-hmm. So like and that's the very least. You know, not only um are you making it easier for your jumping partners, uh you potentially have a device that saves their life and uh you know, a lot of times um in some of these places we need to communicate with the helicopters. Um you know, mm-hmm. just being a 
a responsible and active member of our community and, you know, representing the sport in sort of a um, respectful way, you know, there's just like these tiny little rules that you got to follow. You know, if you were able to buy yourself a wingsuit, do all the training, you know, even tracking, you know, do all this, spending this, all this money, you could probably spend 50 euros, you know, to have a phone yeah. that's going to work while you're on your trip, something. you know, exactly. like, just make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I think of everything in price for like, uh, what a certain item in base or sky would cost me. Right. Then I'm like, well, cause I was, I was looking at TVs a few months ago and I was like, well, you know, a new wingsuit's easily upwards of two grand. So let's start there and go look at TVs. And I went to the TV section and was like, holy shit, you get a lot of TV for two grand. I was like, never mind. Like my, my, <laughs> I want another wingsuit. Yeah. Right. My, uh, I want a couple hours of tunnel. Yeah, and now you're going to be thinking in tunnel time. Yeah, like yeah. I can get a TV, or is that going to be what two hours of tunnel time? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, still don't have a TV. <laughs> yeah, you don't need a TV. Bye. No. Who watches no. TV these days? Yeah. Exactly. But. Yeah. Just recently, I haven't had a TV in at least five or six or more. I don't know how many years. Mm-hmm. And in the last few months, I've had access to a TV, and it's just like it's insane how like your eyes just like get glued onto it for no reason like mm-hmm. it's total crap that you're watching but you can't help but just stare at it it's like hypnotizing yeah like i was trying to use it as like homework like watching a french tv show just to be mm-hmm. like okay i'm gonna help you know improve my language skills but it's just like it's so mind-numbing that yeah. like i can't i don't think i'll ever be able to have a tv again yeah i mean i only watch like highbrow things like game of thrones and rick and morty so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> south park <laughs> Yeah. Things things that are clearly you know, not a waste of my time or energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Ellen, you did a TEDx talk recently, didn't you? Yeah. TEDx Sham. You want to share a little bit about that that experience? Sure. Yeah. That was that was an incredible experience. So I had no experience really public speaking. I had done like a few interviews for TV shows and stuff like that, but it was not anything like giving mm-hmm. a nice, precise 20 minute, like 17 minute, excuse me, 17 minute talk. And, you know, you show up and um, they offer you a bunch of different coaching classes and you work together as a team and kind of help work through your talk and how it's going to go. And it was just amazing. Like I showed up the first day and had so many things I could talk about. And it could have, I could have talked for hours and like, you know, you have to figure out exactly what's going to work. And I was surprised to realize that the things that I thought were important to talk about was like, you know, the technical aspects of wingsuit base jumping and how that factors into my life and life decisions, like was so hard to explain and so hard to understand in 17 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, a couple months before that I had done a stunt with Dunkin' Donuts where I jumped off a mountain, flew down and grabbed a bag of donuts and I realized that all the other people I was working with found that pretty impressive and that that was far easier to talk about and yeah everyone else was pretty excited to hear about it yeah that's not normal jumping (laughs) off the mountain and getting donuts like (laughs) yeah that was an incredible experience too really cool commercial I'll see if I can put that in the show notes too yeah put the making of the stunt in the show notes that's the cool video I mean the the actual commercial is amazing, but the making of was uh, really way like yeah. way way cool. Yeah, what was, there was a hashtag associated with that, but I can't remember <laughs> off the top of my head. WT fast. WT fast. Which was like when they told me that was what their um, hashtag was going to be a like Dunkin' Donuts USA like WT mm-hmm. fast just seems so absurd and so outside of like how I pictured that brand and how I picture how US advertising works and i was like this is going to be a really cool project (laughs) like it was just nothing i would expect to ever happen Mm -hmm. um yeah like i got a phone call from ad companies saying like hey you know we just want to know if this is possible is it possible to jump from a mountain fly down and grab something i was like yeah like i mean (laughs) no one has ever done that because there's no reason to like it just seems pretty ridiculous but like there's no reason why we can't like you can fly really precise lines people hit targets i mean you could hit donuts people are hitting targets all the time (laughs) yeah 
don't don't forget about there was uh you know maybe one of the more well-known wingsuiters in the world who said that it wasn't possible yeah yeah but that's (laughs) that's not my problem (laughs) no no i mean uh yeah yeah that's i mean it's not everybody thought it was possible well yeah most things are though if you really put your time your brain to it you know Pour the woman some wine, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> the girl's thirsty. Drink up. Thanks. Well, that was a nice pour. Yeah, yeah thanks for bringing well, wine. What about, well, what about me? Oh, shit. My bad, dude. That's all right. right. I've got this giant black thing in my face that's distracting me. From <laughs> and we're not talking about the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting weird up in this van. <laughs> it, yeah. Um, I guess we can get back to how... I mean, it, it, initially to me, it seemed really mm-hmm. easy and like totally feasible. I didn't understand why it would be so challenging. And then I started trying to, you know, get a support group together, see if we could make this actually happen. Mm-hmm. And then when I started, you know, asking Lo what his opinion was, I remember contacting Scotty Bob because he'd done a lot of target practice and bouncing these ideas off of them. They were like, it's not actually that easy. Like, it's going to mm-hmm. be pretty hard. Like, first of all, I've never hit a target before personally. So now I was going to try to hit like a target that was 30 centimeters large and no one had really tried that yet literally the smallest target ever done yeah um so that was tricky and then not only that but the idea of actually flying with the target like Mm -hmm. no one had ever actually grabbed something and flown away with it like how is that going to affect how the wing flies and i'm not only going to be skydiving i'm actually going to be grabbing this thing a few meters off the ground so Uh if it does affect my flight like what are the consequences going to be like they're going to be pretty severe consequences Mm -hmm. so all these i scary things started popping up in the planning and it started getting a bit more complicated. Um, so we talked to the ad agency and told them like, yeah, like I think it's possible, but it's actually going to be more complicated than we thought. And we broke it down into different stages. Like mm-hmm. the first stage was just, is it possible to fly with a target? So I went out skydiving and built like a, a fake target full of donuts. And I initially like the first jump I made with that was super scary. Like, yeah, it was actually like a bag full of foam just to see what would happen. And it started like kind of spinning me. I couldn't fly straight and I had to bend my yeah. leg, like completely bend my legs just to get flying straight, uh-huh. which wouldn't work in a base jump. So that was discouraging. And then um, with that, we decided to contact a, f- uh, a rigger and see if we could build some prototype bags. And we built many, many bags and found out that using a like F-111 parachute material like something super light so it was really low impact on my my wing and my leading edge along with putting one-way valves on the top and bottom of the bag so the air can go out but not in Mm. would make it far less of a a burden and then we went out and flew with that a few times and realized that like it's not easy but it's definitely like i could train with it and i'll be able to fly with it that was like just stage one and then it was can i hit a target Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you know i hadn't hit a target yet so we went up and set up a target in the Ensekulawar at the Brabant, which is like a giant runway. And I've been doing this jump countless times, so it was super easy. Like the only variable that really changed in that jump was that I would be trying to aim for a target. But it wasn't a new jump. It wasn't a new location. It was a flat right. new. So It's always good to reduce your variables. Yeah. So that was the only variable yeah. that really changed was the target. And I didn't actually grab the target on this flight. It was just can I hit an area mm-hmm. the right size of the target. And after practicing that for a few days, I was able to, like, consistently get either hit the target or get very close range to it. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like, I can hit a target. I can fly with the target. But, like, can we put it all together? Like, uh, that's another story because how are we going to attach the target? Like, I need – how is this target going to be, like, hanging in the yeah. middle of the air? Like, and how – like, it's going to have to be coming off of a cafe stand. So I'm going to be close to a building. It's just – there's mm-hmm. that was a huge – yeah, how did they get that Dunkin' Donuts all the way up there into the mountains? <laughs> Helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool to see. Yeah. Like, my own Dunkin' Donuts stand on the, <laughs> on the side of a mountain. That was a big moment for us. I think uh, there was a, a builder that we found that was a friend of a friend, and uh, he, you know, they had all the specs that they, you know, requirements that they needed through Dunkin' Donuts and the ad agency. Like, it had to be a certain color, um, and uh, the orange had to be a certain orange, and uh, they had all these different you know, restrictions that they needed to be filled. 
And then there was this one day when we went to drive, we drove over and visited the builder and we actually saw the stand or the, the the quotes cafe being built. And it was like, whoa, this is actually, (laughs) this is happening. Well, because up until that moment, it was like only us doing training. Like Uh we hadn't actually seen any, we didn't actually know if this was happening yet or not. Like it's all hearsay and like Mm. in wingsuiting world and projects, it's like nothing actually happens until it's actually happened. Yeah. And for us, like we had invested a lot of time, a lot of thought and a lot of training into this, but there was still a really good chance it wasn't going to happen. Like I was still at like, I don't know, like 70% chance this does not happen. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Were you like hesitant to like talk about it or like um, outside of your, uh, your team just in case it didn't or. Yeah, that's pretty much what happens. Like as soon as you talk about a project, it doesn't happen anymore. So we were really quiet about it and didn't really want to discuss it because it would just be so disappointing if it didn't mm-hmm. happen and, like, and freaking yourself. awesome if it does yeah <laughs> so. yeah it's almost better just like make a big splash and like like when it succeeds than to like uh you know let yeah. the cat out of the bag early not um, only that there's like you know there's some c- competitive people in the wingsuiting world and sure if they know what you're working on then some people might try to yeah I know that's like a silly thing to say, but I, mean, I totally would not have stolen your Dunkin' Donuts gig. <laughs> like, you uh, would have just jumped out and flown down and grabbed right. the bag right in <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ellen was talking a little bit about how they she like broke down each of the steps, and um, I think that that was uh, like a really awesome way to handle this. Like a true professional, you know, um, uh, breaking down each element and, like you said, like eliminating as many variables as possible and introducing them one by one. And, uh, you know, Fred and Vince recently uh, did an amazing stunt and yeah. they did the same thing. You know, they're just re- reducing the amount of variables that they input. And uh, this is how you uh, handle yourself as a professional, I think. And, uh, yeah, a lot of respect to Ellen for, for sticking to her guns there. And I, and I think that our training uh, process uh, throughout the entire stunt went really, really well. And, uh, you know, there was, uh, there was some... Um, some chatter in the background about how people could do it in one and this and that. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm really proud of the way that, uh, this went down. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other thing about breaking it down into steps is like, I didn't want to commit to something like I, I didn't know if it was possible, but I didn't want to say like, I can do this for you and then end up making a stupid decision mm-hmm. and kill myself trying to do it. Yeah. Like I always had an out. I always had a backup. It was like when we were out actually on scene, like train, like shooting, I was like, you know, you guys should have a plan if I can't actually hit the bag because, like, I'm not going to kill uh-huh. myself for a bag of donuts. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like they always knew that's that they were happy <laughs> with that plan. I was happy with that plan. But it was really important to not, like, let my ego get in the way of yeah. my jumping and my plans. And some days I would be jumping and I'd be getting super frustrated and I'd just have to stop and, like, pull back for a second. And yeah. other days I felt freaking good and I just, like, went with it because, you know, confidence is a really big part of this too and like you just have to listen to yourself and understand like where you're at physically mentally and know that you know you don't have to do anything yeah and ultimately it's on you whatever whatever the outcome is so it's uh yeah i'll pay the price well and my friends will pay the price but like yeah ellen i was like super proud of the way i was super proud of the way that she handled herself you know like uh, i think that with the season or the winter before we saw somebody do a stunt and almost kill himself and for almost you know little money there was zero training that was involved in it and um yeah i think just honestly i think that women are better equipped to to handle these sort of jobs to be honest because uh the way that ellen was able to separate her ego and the uh, attachment of uh, having to succeed to get this done was uh, pretty spectacular to be honest uh i i think even personally i would have like felt the pressure of like an ad agency is watching we have this big film crew there's a helicopter running around the mountain like this is a lot of a lot of people a lot of eyes on mm-hmm. you a lot of money too going a lot of money and uh uh, ellen was uh ellen was all smiles and giggles and having a great time and uh yeah it was uh it was actually pretty inspiring to see it go down yeah like how do you not be smiles and giggles when you show up to a place like you call your helicopter to come pick you up and take you to the top of a mountain to like go fly this course that's been set up just for you you're like i'm ready for my helicopter that's exactly i was like can i have my heli here in 10 minutes coming (laughs) it's awesome that's so sick yeah it was really cool it was really cool to um, get all of our friends involved in the project yeah like we were able to 
kind of hire the film crew that we wanted to help hire the staff that we wanted the athlete support team and that was a really a big part of it and that was really nice everybody a lot of our friends got jobs at 720 was that rachel and toby involved Mm -hmm. nice yeah yeah they were awesome they organized the athlete side of things the production side of team like things Mm -hmm. it was it was a big job it was a huge job like and like I still think about it like how did we get that all pulled off like <laughs> it's like still impressive to me yeah. like it was a lot of coordinating a lot of complications that came up that were unexpected and uh dealing with the corporate people was interesting because mm-hmm. the things to us that were important was you know safety and getting the job done in the time frame that we had you know we have to be able to jump in the morning finish before 11 before the wind comes um if it got at all windy the the target would just fall off of the lines that it was holding it up. Mm-hmm. So it's like we had a very specific window that we could jump in and we'd be ready to go. And then, you know, some of the, the corporate people would be worried about how the sprinkles looked on the donuts that I was going to go pick up and uh. they would have to <laughs> put everything to a halt and, you know, like, hang on, Check fly the sprinkles. me down. Seriously. <laughs> like they were worried about how the sprinkles looked for the donut I was going to eat under parachute. And I understand like this is, definitely their commercial this is their project um but i think they just didn't fully understand um the safety issues that we had that were concerned with like our timing and our windows and there was (laughs) one day where things got a little bit heated because of that issue and luckily like after that we had a big talk (laughs) and kind of explained how like you know first priority safety second priority sprinkles sprinkles and (laughs) sprinkles are really really important right it's their brand image so to some people it's very very important (laughs) to us i mean some more sprinkles in the helicopter (laughs) when the finished product came out and hit the market like uh, the sprinkles looked amazing that was the first thing I thought when I saw it was even it was distribution, just awesome sprinkles. the colors, yeah, and, just oh, the right just, color frosting. Yeah, it's, yeah. We had our own uh, donut artists at the landing area making donuts. No time kidding. With and coffee. This was, dude was fucking hilarious. <laughs> like he started off like uh, I think he was German, right? Like yeah, very prim proper. Um, came in like sprinkles. A, yeah, like <laughs> he had like a you know the button up shirt and he had his. Uh, his uh, assistant. assistant there, and you know, he made it very clear that he was not a caterer. Huh? Like there was no asking him for food. He's a food artist, so oh, um, wow. So you know, he you know, he, there's only certain conditions that he can work optimally under. And then by the end of the program, I think he was like, he had his shirt off and it was like tied around his head. I thought we were like in Lord of the Flies or something like that. It was, was hilarious. Like flying yeah. his drone around without a shirt on, just like. <laughs> Uh, we so rubbed off on we pretty well. It was great. Nice. Uh, I can't wait to see the uh, the making of this because I, I don't think I've seen that one yet. Oh yeah, That's it's a great good. video. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah, I'll throw that up on the. Unfortunately, the donut artist isn't in there. No, he didn't make the cut, oh. but he deserved it. <laughs> Is he in the credits at least? I don't even Maybe. Know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, the commercial won a Clio, which I guess is uh, like the the highest reward in the industry, uh, the marketing or um, advertising agency or advertising industry. Industry. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm not really in that world, but yeah, uh, yeah um, it won gold. Yeah, Digitas, the ad agency that put it all together, it's they were pretty psyched on how well it did, and yeah, like basically they were big part of making like it wouldn't have happened if Digitas didn't actually invest personally into it because they when we said we could do the project with them they still hadn't convinced Dunkin Donuts that it could happen or Dunkin Donuts wasn't still they still weren't sure but because we only had like a I think we had like two months to get it all all done in the time frame that they wanted um you know we told Digitas like yes well we we need the wingsuits that we'll be jumping in we need the parachutes we need to be training and if you want this to happen within two months, this needs to happen now. So they actually invested into all the training before Dunkin' Donuts actually approved the project. So it was oh wow, like they're really yeah they're really into rolling this the dice a little bit yeah massively. I don't know how often that happens. Probably not that often because they all seemed pretty blown away by it too. Yeah, yeah, those guys were psyched. Those guys and girls, everybody was like, "This is the coolest job we've ever done." Yeah, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it was cool. That was good. Good experience. Yeah, it's not every day you see a like a 
a human, you know, flying through the air, like you know, not too far off the ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? And let's just throw in the fact that you're hitting a target and you're, you're grabbing donuts. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, but they were super stoked. Well, let's not sell it short, huh? That was like a world record. We didn't like contact Guinness or anything like that, but no one has ever hit a target and flown away with anything that small before or since. Because yeah. why would you? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, give me, give me a couple more hours in the yeah, tunnel right. here and then... Uh, yeah. Let's stick that layout, Randy. <laughs> yeah, got <right>. it. <laughs> I'm a dead cockroach. I just lay on my back, <laughs> arms and legs just in relax. the air. Just relax. Do less. Do less. Do, do nothing. <laughs> what's what's four times three? <laughs> right. Four times three is twelve. Four yeah. times three is twelve. Like, yeah, yeah. He at one point the instructor was asking me math problems on my back, and at first I was like, "Why is he asking me math problems?" Like. It was like one plus one is two. Okay. Two plus two is four. Okay. And then when he made like the time symbol, I was like, wait, what did he just ask me? And then I just gave him the, I don't know, answer. But it was like, what's three times four? Twelve. And then I just started like hitting what he was trying to get me to do. And then I just kept saying three times four is twelve. Relax. Like three times four is, and then the flight was going way better <laughs> yeah That's get so me funny. give him a shout out yeah. bjorner yeah bjorner he's a great uh tunnel instructor that's yeah. another like huge difference in like flying styles between me and low like for me like as soon as i start focusing and like in competitions for example as soon as i start like really trying to like become quite competitive uh-huh. and like try to fly the line perfectly try to hit the right angle the right start like as soon as i start thinking about that at all i start flying like total crap yeah and for low like is if he's like not that concentrated on what he's doing, if he's not thinking about how he's going to make the start, how he's going to hit the angle, how he's going to hold it, like which speed he's going to keep it at, what glide ratio he's going to be flying, like it just doesn't go as well for him. All you had to do is just I'll be way better if I just uh, relax. relax. Yeah, just remember three times four is twelve. Oh damn, good. It's gonna be part of the safety check from now on. Be a tunnel ninja, yeah. Right. Yeah, like even um, that was another huge thing with the Dunkin' Donut project. Um, I was jumping off first, and Lois filming me. And I was, like, concentrating so hard and, like, trying to get to the target, trying to line up on the line. It's actually a really long flight to get to the target. And I was, like, so concentrated on it that I was flying really poorly and, like, coming up short, which I'd never, ever done before on that line. So I ended up, I was like, how is this happening to me? I was like, maybe I'm stressed because Lo is here. So I was like, Lo, can you maybe not jump with me? Like, maybe you're the person that's, like, making me nervous because I care a lot about what he thinks about me and, you know, don't want to let him down. And then I did a jump without him and realized I still sucked. So then I was like, okay, maybe I need low. And then I was like, low, like, can you fly in front of me and distract me? Like, because if you're watching somebody else fly in front of you, usually you don't think about what your body's doing. You're just mm-hmm. watching them. And as soon as I was following him on the flights, like everything was going so much better. So it's like I know myself and I know that if I'm too focused on what I'm doing, like it just doesn't go well. So it's like just being aware of like how you work and adapting to that and that was that was a huge that was a critical thing like if i didn't have flow to lead me into that mm-hmm. flight like i wouldn't have been able to get there so right. it's like ex- sort of uh sorry to jump in there but it's sort of like uh minimizing our variables uh back to that again uh it was like if ellen didn't have to think about her start as much if she didn't need to think about the turn she didn't need to think about the sort of glide angle that we needed to do to line up on the target all she needed to do was follow me and I would bail last second, and literally her only thought that she really needed to focus on was um, hitting the target. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny how it ended up working, but it was uh, ended up being really smooth that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we we've talked a little bit about sham. It's come up uh, in mentions, but uh, what's the latest going on there? Uh, it's sort of a long story. Um, Chamonix, France, for those that uh, may not be familiar, was uh, still is a big wingsuit spot, but all the the gondola lift access jumps got shut down. Is that a fair statement? Temporarily? Yes. yes. Um, not only just the lift access jumps, but uh, even flying from a helicopter and flying a wingsuit has, uh, has been temporarily banned. And um, 
you know, I think uh, the majority of us who live in Chamonix and uh, those of us who are paying attention to what's going on agree, like, uh, you know, taking a break and reevaluating how we're approaching yeah. this. and hitting and the reset button for a second. Yeah. It was uh, it was definitely responsible and, and the right thing to do. Um, and uh, Maybe you can just explain, like, why it got canceled. So a uh, Russian wingsuit pilot jumped from the Aguida Midi, uh, which is um, a peak that's accessed uh, by uh, a gondola. And uh, it's uh, one of the highest wingsuit base jumps in the world, and it's accessible by lift. Uh, this is something that's uh, very unique for us, and um, it's an absolutely fantastic jump. And uh, one of the main complications of the whole thing is that the landing areas are right in town. Uh, So, like, some of the areas and the lines that we like to fly end up right in town. I mean, like, you have people going to school, uh, commuting to work, um, you know, uh, uh, emptying their trash right above it as people are opening their their parachutes. There's a meat missile flying through the... Absolutely. And so uh, there was, unfortunately, a Russian wingsuit pilot that jumped off the Guidemidi, flew back towards town. And uh, for some unknown reason, when he was going to deploy his parachute, he was unable to do so and crashed directly into a residential apartment building and um, left a pretty big rivet right into uh, the side of the building. And uh, this was uh, where the prefet or like uh, if uh, the Americans listening out there would be like the governor of the region stepped in and said whoa what's going on here uh, they put a lot of pressure on the mayor's office to put a stop to it and figure what was going on there and uh, they said okay like we're going to put a temporary ban on this and stop it um, what people don't really understand is that uh, you know we're like the new kid on the block um, Chemony is a valley, uh, it's a proving ground where, um, you know, steep skiing, mountaineering, paragliding, speed riding, all of these sports have kind of gone to Chamonix to sort of evolve and become sports instead of these crazy stunts. And now is our turn to do that. Uh, unfortunately, all of these sports have had their fair share of deaths and accidents, and it's kind of like survival of the fittest uh, we need to go through this process of uh understanding that um you know the and growth to develop our sport and um there's a couple of of really key points that we need to remember is that uh if we cannot fairly introduce this sort of risk to the general public because of our fun uh, and so we need to keep our landing areas away from uh public areas houses in particular and uh, and then follow uh, some standard practices to keep you know within reason because everybody's watching. Uh, I don't think people really understand that like anytime somebody opens a parachute, there's a loud crack, and even when we're at home drinking coffee, we can look up in the sky. Everybody's watching. The community is watching. The world is watching. So anything that happens there, people are are, are uh, really tuned into it. So. Um, one of the key things now is that uh, the landing areas for the Brevant and the Aguida Midi need to lead into areas that are uninhabited into the forest uh, so that when you're opening your parachute, um, all the people that are there to, you know, to participate in our, uh, in our sport, uh, they're not introducing risk to the public. And then there's, you know, some really small details like, you know, contacting the helicopter before you jump off because, um, you know, when a wingsuit or a parachute uh, is um, gets into the path of a helicopter, things can go really wrong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's airspace. We're, it's airspace. We're using it. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of throw this out there that like, oh, you know, like, well, we're base jumpers or we're this or we're that. It's like, no, you know. In a place like Chamonix, you need to come with the skills required and with an understanding that we're just another one of these crazy sports that are being practiced here. And, you know, like, don't be a dick. We're all sharing this beautiful spot. And just because you've got this fancy wingsuit and your videos are, you know, going viral, uh, it doesn't mean shit. 
Uh, you know, all of these same sports went through the same process. People are going to get tired of watching wingsuit videos. They're going to be tired of looking at wingsuit athletes yep. on Facebook. And uh, basically, you know, like let's let's share this beautiful spot. Let's uh, continue to have fun and uh, don't fuck this up. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the day that we're regarded, you know, like surfers or rock climbers, you know, mountain climbers. You know, right now it's we still have a little bit of that. Yeah, we are the new kids on the block, and we're going through that growing phase. Uh, so there's a good way to grow. And uh, Paragliding, I think a lot of people don't understand. Paragliding in Chamonix Valley was banned for three years until a club was uh, stepped in and was the uh, focused voice of the community and was able to communicate clearly with the mayor's office and set up some rules. You know, this has already been done. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the the sport's just a little bit different, and we move a little bit faster. Um, but uh, you know, the the framework of what how to handle this situation is already there, and um, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully that this is going to come to a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed that it, you know they give us the opportunity to continue to grow there and. There's definitely been some growing pains. You know, there's a couple of associations that regulate uh, base jumping in France, and uh, there were some definite growing pains for these organizations. You know, we had a couple of people resign, and uh, there was some infighting, and it was very controversial. And, uh, you know, there was a very democratic process that went on with the Para-Alpinism Association. They set out a... um, Formulaire, uh, like a survey uh, to the general public, uh, mostly for the French jumpers, and then they also asked uh, me to translate it to send it out to the international community in English. And the general consensus amongst jumpers was to keep to fight to keep it open. And uh, there was some, you know, older uh, wingsuit jumpers who believed that the the Bravant wasn't uh, didn't represent their sport and. Uh, for me, it's sort of, sort of. I could see some similarities between uh, like randonnée or skiers who are trying to control, you know, a bunch of park snowboarders, um, and you know, the, the difference between that was so different, and the language they were speaking was so different, and it, uh, you know, it definitely impaired the the process because the mayor's office was like getting all these different voices from all over the place, uh, you know, like oh, so what is this sport about? And, uh, you know, for sure there isn't this focused voice of what it is we're actually about and what we want. And, and, um, you know, I think it's up to us as a community to, uh, maybe put aside all of these different, uh, trade, you know, brand wars and, uh, we really need to, this is a, a giant step for us as a community to move forward in the world as a responsible sportsman is to have this focused voice. And, uh, I really hope to see that at some point in my life. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's really well put. Yeah, thanks for that update on Sham. I know we're all, you know, those of us that aren't right there, we're all sort of watching, you know, seeing what happens. And uh, You know, that again, too, like, it's a beautiful spot. I really love it. And uh, I kind of treated it as one of those spots that's, you know, like maybe um, I'm tired from hiking or I've got to be at work later on that day. Uh, it's an easy ride up to a, a fantastic jump. Um, but, you know, like I really put my work in and uh, both Ellen and I sacrificed a lot to be where we're at. Like uh, we we moved uh, to other sides of the world. We gave up jobs that we loved. Uh, we saw it as a sport that we couldn't just do part time as a tourist and, uh, you know, we didn't jump Bravant or the Aiguille for quite a while after it had been opened. And, uh, um, you know, we didn't really lose out on much fun. Uh, like there was, there's a lot to explore that those beginning days of your wingsuit base jumping, you know, like hold on to that because, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people who have come and, uh, overdosed on the intensity of that is Chamonix and sort of been left with this empty feeling like, where do you go from here? savor those early jumps savor all that the whole process is fantastic like if you just skip over all of that not only are you um you know uh, basically shitting and pissing on everything that we've been doing to make this place nice and uh, accessible for everybody but uh, you're missing out Mm -hmm. on all the adventure that is uh, those early days 
Yeah, and if you just look at the the jumps as like a checklist leading up to other jumps, then you're you're gonna miss out on the uh, the adventure that those those first jumps offer. And, yeah, and uh, not so just because you hit one spot and what it, you know, did pretty well doesn't necessarily mean you're ready to go to the next spot. Like you, know, you should be hitting that like you know, dozens of times, you know, consistently. Yeah, Even you know, like, I had. Uh, I witnessed um, somebody who's pretty young and new into the sport and trying to make a name for themselves, you know, fly right over a rescue helicopter. A, a rescue was ongoing in the Ensacoolwar, and for those that don't know, that says right below the exit point. You can hear helicopters, you can see them, and they jumped right over it. And uh, uh, personally, we know one of the helicopter pilots uh, that was on duty that day, and they were furious. And having, you know, this foreign body flying directly over a, a, a vehicle like the helicopter is um, is enormously disrespectful for what they do. And nobody deserves more respect than the PGSM, the rescue unit in Chamonix. And uh, my point here, maybe if I'm going on and on, is that um, a place like the Bravant is, uh, can be very distracting. Uh, there's these beautiful lines to follow. It's a technical exit point. Uh, there's all these different things. And if you're not quite ready for it, you're going to be involved in some serious tunnel vision. And this is a place where you need to have a lot of awareness. There's paragliders. There's... Uh, there's fixed wing aircraft, there's the helicopter rescue, there's hikers or skiers, there's all these places that are sharing the same area with us. And if you don't, if you're scared and you're having tunnel vision at the exit point, you're, you're not ready to be there. And honestly, that takes years. Mm. It takes years to get to a position where you have the awareness to, um, to understand what's going on and perform at that, mm -hmm. you know some of the highest levels yeah and that may not be realistic on a two or three week trip you no know, once a year yeah you know. it, this is for people who are committing their lives for the sport and if you only have two years out of the two sorry two month two weeks out of the year to practice your sport honestly i don't think it's uh it's for you you know mm -hmm. it's uh, there's plenty of other beautiful spots out there you just have a little bit of hike you know and that's have the a, problem too is like you only have two weeks out of the year so you want to take want to get the, the most out you, of it yeah so like if i can go jump at bravant and make like three jumps in the morning and then jump to guidi midi all afternoon and i only have two weeks i'm making five jumps a day like that's pretty tempting yeah it but, is it's a, so i understand like forbidden why. fruit well for you sure. know i i made that mistake uh in 2011 i was like uh I was leaving. I was leaving Hawaii, going to Twin. We we're gonna do a couple of days in Twin, and then go down to Moab. I was like, "This is I'm spending like twelve hundred bucks on airfare. We've got nine days. I want to get X number of jumps." And like, because when you start putting a price tag on it, hey, you're already like going down a dangerous road. And sure enough, broke my leg on the very first jump, and then uh, spent nine days watching T base jump with my friends. <laughs> Didn't go to Moab. <laughs> So, Might have saved your life too, right? Yeah. Well, that was a good time to break my leg too. I, I needed to uh, sort of slow down and get some perspective. That happened but, to me too. Uh, you know, like um, I was on my second season and uh, did a couple of wingsuit base jumps. Oh man, it was just like I, I was being that stereotypical idiot, like uh, moving too fast in the sport, and um, I had an accident uh, jumping or doing a uh, jumping out of a paraglider. And uh, got really lucky, really lucky. And I was supposed to go to the valley like the next couple of days after that, and I, I couldn't walk for weeks. And um, I, you know, like I look back at that accident and been like, man, that might have saved my life. Yeah. What happened? I don't think I know about this one. <laughs> so um, my cousin was, uh, you know, in the early stages of his uh, brevet uh, to teach paragliding, and. Uh, we were at the Saleb, which is right outside of uh, Geneva, and uh, I had my, you know, it was like kitted out with my base gear, and he was going to launch this old piece of shit tandem paraglider, and, uh, you know, he was super excited. I was super excited. We got up there. Uh, the conditions weren't super favorable. They were, behind, you know, a little tailwind, and uh, and we launched. And uh, Were you going to jump off of this paraglider? Yes. Okay. And uh, we got the wing overhead, and it wasn't really sort of fluttering, you know, and run, 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 running. Mm -hmm. And uh, this site has a cliff right at the edge of it. It's like 30 meters high. 
and we're running, we're running, we're running, and nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And, uh, you know, my cousin was a little bit overzealous. I was being a little bit more over, like, uh, cautious. And as we started getting close to the cliff, instead of just launching into my harness the way that I should have to keep it, you know, going, um, I dug my heels in. I had wanted nothing to do with that cliff. And boom, with the momentum that we had, went over the, over the cliff and I just, I just remember we were in free fall. It just felt like an eternity. Ooh. And I, I remember being like, feeling like a real selfish bastard and like rolling over so that I would impact onto him instead of like me taking the front <laughs> of the force. And just right before we hit the ground, like the parachutes or the paraglider snagged on a tree and boom, hit the ground. Oh, wind out knocked out of me. Like, oh, I got thinking my brack is broken, thinking my hip is broken. And I remember looking around and there was just nothing but rocks and boulders everywhere around us. And we had taken the 30 meters to a, you know, a paraglider in the trees, smashing on the ground and hit grass. Wow. Whoa, were we lucky. Whoa, were we lucky. Yeah, a little bit either direction. You could have been on a rock. Uh, so easily been in a wheelchair right yeah. now. Yeah. Drinking out of a straw for the rest of your life. Woo. <laughs> Sometimes it takes one. Nice one, cowboy. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> I think now I feel like I'm getting a little bit old. You know, I'm getting older and um, having a lot of perspective. And I think, uh, you know, like what we were talking about before, I thought women are really like uh, better suited for this sort of thing. The testosterone is something that's real, uh, like trying to prove yourself and feeling successful and yeah. having these benchmarks where you like feeling a sense of accomplishment. I think wingsuit base jumping isn't really one of those activities where you can sort of line yourself up and judge what you're about. It's uh, It needs to be a passion project and you need to continue to prove to yourself that you're doing it for the right reasons because if you're there, to, you know, to be an athlete or a professional, like, just look at all the people before us, huh? Like, all the people that have died doing this. This is something that needs to be done for our enjoyment, and that's it. And um, when we're starting to prove ourselves or we're, you know, we want to, like, get that sponsorship or we want to get uh, some videos, uh, some likes and all that stuff, it's for the wrong reason. And, uh, you know, time and time again, it proves that, that that's going to kill you. And... uh it just keeps getting more and more fun. You know, like uh, surviving means more fun. Uh, the wingsuits are getting better. Uh, the opening, the different sites that we get to jump, there's more and more of them. Uh, you know, we're getting better at flying. Everything. Yeah. I mean, the the fun that I'm having now, as opposed to what we were doing five or ten years ago, it's just like it doesn't stop. It just keeps getting better better. So, like, man, think long game long game is where the fun's at yeah for sure yeah just constantly growing and learning and not trading it for one more jump you know just taking it easy and all it takes doesn't matter how good you are like i'm talking about thinking i'm some sort of official or some sort of uh, authority on safety and stuff like that all i got to do is fuck up one jump and that's it it's over and uh yeah all right well guys uh thanks for coming out Thank uh, you. Thanks for convincing me to, you know, come do a little bit of tunnel time and then taking the time to chit chat on here. And uh, we'll do this again. Ellen, I wish you luck with uh, Utah. Thank you. And, Kitty uh, girl. <laughs> yeah, and Lo, you'll be definitely be seeing more of me this this uh, throughout the rest of the winter and summer. Awesome. So Looking forward to it, buddy. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a Base Life podcast. Thanks, guys. See ya. All right, if you want to know more about our guests, just check out the show notes. And if you want to give us some feedback or reach out to us, you can hit us at baselife2014 at gmail.com, facebook.com backslash thebaselife, and on Instagram, we're at base.life. All right, thanks.